Welcome everyone to another episode of that special moment where the process of life-changing decisions are discussed and your destiny is forged. I am Armand and today I have the pleasure to have on board Stephen Gates, a man of multiple creative talents as he is an international keynote speaker double with an inspired podcaster. He is the host of the Crazy One podcast, which I recommend you all to listen. He will explain to you in a minute why he decided to dedicate his life to creativity. Without further ado, let's meet him. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. The pleasure is mine. Stephen, this is a question that I usually start with. I have introduced you to the show, and I would like to know in your own words, who is Stephen Gates? Oh, that's a good question. I think it depends on what hour it is. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a designer. Um, I'm a global head of design. I'm a keynote speaker. I'm a podcaster. Um, yeah, I think, you know, over the, the arc of my career, I, I've worn a lot of different hats. But yeah, I think most known for design work, um, my speaking and, and the podcast. Right. So um, you speak about your creative uh, aspects. So talk me through to your personal uh, development journey and specifically how you thought that becoming uh, uh, creative was made for you or where you made for becoming a creator. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think where a lot of people sort of have that moment, I think whenever they realize that they were creative or that's what they want to do, I think I had the rare opportunity of sort of being born into it. So my father was a creative director. My mother was an artist that, you know, I started my design education at two years old on a 700 pound cast iron letterpress <laughs> that, that used to sit in my parents' basement. So my dad and I used to go down and we would, um, we would actually write my own storybooks and then we would sit there and, and print them. So it basically meant I was a hipster by the time I was in kindergarten. I started working at his advertising agency whenever I was 12 and was off to the races. But I think it's just, it's always just such been a part of my life that I think I always knew I was going to be creative. It was just a matter of what did that mean and how could I make a living at it? And then it's just been interesting to watch it sort of change throughout the arc of my career. So basically you had no choice to, uh, other yeah, than being no. a, a creative, I mean. No, no, I always, I always would joke with my parents that you know, they couldn't complain about the, the bills for art school because it was, it was their fault that that was the road I went down. <laughs> Did you ever explore other, um, other routes, other possibilities, or it was, uh, as you were so, in a so young age, um, drawn into the cauldron of creativity, uh, for you, it, it wasn't making any sense to explore anything else? <laughs> You know, I think, you know, there's always that sort of joy of teenaged angst of like, I'm going to be my own person and not who my parents are. No, I think I definitely, I'd explored computer science. I had explored marine biology. Like, again, I can still write code and do, but I think, you know, for me, it was always even then sort of understanding all those things were somehow creative, but now even sort of wandering through a number of those other things kind of early on in life, I just, I really realized that, you know, that's where my, my passion was, was to, yeah, to, to follow in my parents' footsteps. Mm -hmm. All right. So now let's, let's switch a little bit um, away from the creative parts and um, let's focus on, the, um, on your keynote speaker. How did you become uh, an international uh, keynote speaker? Was it uh, as a smooth ride as becoming a creator or 
How was it? <laughs> oh, I think I think if anybody has a smooth ride in becoming a creator or a keynote speaker, I would love to to talk to them because yeah, I haven't figured out how to do it smoothly yet. No, I think you know for me it was interesting. I um, until I was probably even in my like twenty six or twenty seven, I used to have a paralyzing fear of public speaking. I couldn't speak in front of more than a few people, and and I just sort of started to realize again. I think because I had the benefit of of working with my parents. Mm-hmm. That as I looked at the sort of work that I wanted to do, as I looked at the jobs I wanted to have, I really realized that sort of being a good designer, being a good at execution alone, wasn't going to be enough. That my ability to communicate ideas, to sell them, to be able to inspire people, to do a lot of those other things, were going to sort of need to become part of the tools that I had. And so, yeah, for me, I really started to set about trying to figure out how to be better at that. And so, no, I went through years of you know, speaking for free at any little event that would have me. And, and I think, you know, it's really been a process over, I don't know what, you know, nine, 10 or 15 years probably to get to the place now where, you know, I'm able to travel the world, speak in front of tens of thousands of people. And, but no, it's been, it has definitely been a process to figure out uh, how to do it and, and to do it well. It's very interesting. Um, in this process, did you, um, did you follow some rules? People uh, guided you? You had some mentors? Uh, you, did you read books? Uh, how did you uh, improve your, your speaking abilities? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, most people learn, they start to learn by copying. And so I think, you know, for me, it was watching TED Talks that I really liked or watching comedians or like watching anybody. Because for me, it was really trying to figure out who is a good storyteller and then who is a good performer. Because, you know, again, I think there's a lot of people who are, who have really good information, but if you aren't able to be compelling, if you aren't able to tell a good story, again, it's just people don't connect with the information the same way. So no, I started doing everything from, I went out and took improv classes because for me, it was just sort of that ability to figure out how to be on stage and how to be comfortable and not be afraid and to start to perform a little bit. And yeah, for me, it was, I've done, you know, I, I think talking to comedians and talking to public speakers and talking to you know, just all kinds of different people just to sort of understand what did they do and how did they approach it. And then a lot of it for me was just a lot of trial and error, a lot of just standing up there and figuring out what worked and what didn't and what was sort of my authentic voice and and how did I sort of find a a unique perspective and sort of move away from those early Mm -hmm. days whenever you do learn by copying. But I think as you go, then it's important that you migrate to more of that authenticity and then you sort of take the training wheels off to develop more of your own opinion. And when you you talk, you're starting talking. Um, did you rehearse, or you just um, uh, went to those uh, places where they wanted um, you as a speaker, and you you say whatever happens, happens. Did you <laughs> have a guideline? How, how do you prepare yourself? You know, it, it's interesting for me. It's a mix of both. So I, I think part of it for me is that you know I put as with anything to make anything complicated look easy is a huge amount of work. So no, I think there's a lot of research and work and thinking that goes into what is the story I want to tell? How do I want to do it? But interestingly, whenever I actually get up on stage, I use very minimal decks. I don't use scripts. I don't, because for me, whenever I use those, I sound very robotic. I'm more concerned about what word am I going to say? And I'm not paying as much attention to the delivery and connecting with the audience and, and sort of putting emotion into it. So for me, it's, it's this interesting format of, of being very, very structured in sort of the construction of the talk, but then being very free and, and really being able to sort of concentrate on the performance. And, and I think for me, one of the, the interesting things that I learned, so 
I, I was very lucky in my career. I've done a lot of work with Apple. It was one of the first times I got to work with some of the people who used to work with Steve Jobs whenever he would do keynote talks. And they mm-hmm. would tell me that his magic number was seven. That for every single talk that he gave, every single keynote, he would go through it seven times. Because after you've been through it seven times, you understand the material. You understand how to do the transitions. And then you can really concentrate on the performance and connecting with the audience. So that that's a rule that I still keep is sort of doing seven run-throughs of the material leading up to being on stage. And then it really lets me sort of see how does the crowd react, what mood are they in, and those sort of things to be able to customize it. Mm-hmm. And uh, before speaking, did you um, feel the, the room? Did you, did you spend some time in the room to, to, to get a feel for the public of the, um, before going on stage or not? This is yeah, not I, something I, you're doing. I do as much as I can. I mean, interestingly, many times I'm asked to be the first speaker at a lot of events. So you don't really have the luxury of doing that. So it's interesting. <laughs> I've sort of developed that the first two or three minutes of my talk tend to be very similar just because one, it just, it lets you sort of be on stage and orient yourself to being up there and get used to it. But I think also, you know, there's a joke or two in there and you can sort of see how do people react? Are they laughing? Are they awake? Um, And again, I think you also start to then understand cultural difference. Like it took me years of speaking in places like Germany or Austria to realize that they actually found me funny. They just sort of weren't good at being emotional in groups. And so nobody ever laughed. But afterwards, they would tell me I was really funny. So I think it's just, you know, and you, you, you start to use those sort of moments to be able to test out the crowd, see how much can you play with them, you know, and be able to do things like that to try to dial it in. But yeah, there are those sort of like little cues I'll have sprinkled throughout to be able to try to check in and see how they're doing. Okay, good. Very interesting. And um, you've, you've been, um, you said at the beginning, you were doing that for free for kind of training, I believe, you know, because right. you said you were very scared to, um, to talk in front of um, a lot of uh, uh, persons. Um, Did this, this training help you overcome the fear that you had speaking, public speaking? Or did you say um, beforehand you have kind of, a, you convince yourself to, to let aside the, the fear and then you, you did those, um, those, uh, those, those speakings? Yeah, I think, those talks. <laughs> yeah, I think probably both. Because I, I think in some ways it, there definitely is, whenever you do it a lot, I mean, there's always that, Malcolm Gladwell and others have talked about the journey of 10,000 hours that whenever you do anything for that amount of time, you're able to master it. So I think, you know, look, the, the time and the ability to do it more absolutely helps. I think even doing the podcast absolutely helps because the more you're able to figure out how do you communicate and do things like that, the better you get. But no, I think, you know, for me, there still is, you know, a little bit of that fear, a little bit of the unknown, a little bit of those sort of things. I think it's just, in many cases, you start to realize that, If you make a mistake or you didn't say it the way you wanted to, the only person who knows that is you. So in many cases, it's just, again, like I said, you sort of train yourself to kind of roll with whatever it is because I've had fire alarms go off or like, I mean, it just, it's just, it is what it is. And so I think, you know, for me, there is that, the balance of, like I said, of probably both. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting uh, what you, you just said. Uh, listen, um, so... How came the idea to launch your very own podcast? Was it something in line with your public speaking or this is something that you thought you needed to create because of your creative work? It was something uh, added value to what uh, your creative um, uh, processes. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, the public, it, so originally it had started as sort of the public speaking. I had a blog or would write articles just because I found through a lot of my work as I was discovering things where I would talk to other design leaders or other designers, there were just things that I could tell everybody was struggling with and we couldn't get answers for. And so, again, I think I just, I started by trying to want to share those things to be able to help people out. And I'd been doing the public speaking for a while, had had toyed around with a podcast for a while, but I think as with most creative people, there's that sort of imposter syndrome crept up of saying like, hey, why why on earth does the world need another podcast? And, <laughs> um, and, and so for me, it, it was one of probably the most impactful moments of my career that led me to change over to leave the writing behind and go to the podcast where um, I'd been invited to a large festival in Austria um, for the first time went. And, and a lot of my talks, I'd shifted over to try to make them more personal, to try to make them to tell more of my story, to, to be a little, to connect with people a little bit more. And, and I did the talk at the event and afterwards there was an after party. And I was standing around with a few of the speakers and I could see there was this young man, probably in his late teens, or early twenties, that was sort of standing off to the side. And, and it was obvious he wanted to come talk to one of us, but sort of hadn't mustered the courage to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And my wife was with me and it sort of noticed him and pulled him over and said, you know, Hey, who do you want to talk to? And he wanted to talk to me. So we went off to the side and, and started talking and, and, you know, it was very interesting because we started to talk, he started to cry. And I think normally that's <laughs> not the reaction you are, I think, either expecting or wanting whenever you, you're in that sort of situation. But he, he went on to tell me that, you know, he'd been going through this really tough time in his life that, you know, his parents really hadn't accepted him as being a designer or being creative or sort of living the way that he was. And so he'd been pushed to the point where he'd sold everything he owned to buy the ticket to this conference. And that he had decided that whenever he went here, either he was going to find people that would inspire him, that would sort of set him and, and give him a direction to be able to go in. Or at the end of this, he was going to decide that, you know, the path he was on just wasn't going to work and he was going to go outside of the town and kill himself. And it just shook me to my core because I, I'd never heard somebody talk about being creative in those stakes. I'd never heard of them talk about it in that sort of way. And I think, you know, I, I remember very vividly flying back on the plane, sitting there thinking that, you know, what, what I had been doing up until that point wasn't enough, that it wasn't reaching enough people, that if I could help that particular young man, there had to be others. And so whenever I got back, I, I'd made the decision that I was going to, I was going to pull the trigger. I was going to be able to, to, you know, be able to do this sort of thing. And I think it was very deliberate because of that and because of my own journey and calling it the crazy one. Because I felt, you know, so many creatives in their journey, it never looks like anybody else. It never feels like, oh, my life is exactly like somebody else's. And I think, you know, too often we're led to believe that because we are different, that that's a weakness. And that that was the thing that I absolutely wanted to, to dispel that idea, to get people to realize that that was their strength. And so, you know, because of, of all of that and that young man, um, then the podcast was born. So it was your your aha moment. You said, "Okay, it was. this is this because is I, nice. I think I think you know because for me for a long time I always felt like I was traveling around the world talking about things that felt incredibly obvious to me that these were the mm -hmm. things or these were the insights or the things that I experienced and everybody must understand this." And I sort of realized in that moment and in a lot of moments since then that that really wasn't the the case that that you know we all were trying very hard to be unique to create our own work. But that because of that, it was interesting how many times we had similar struggles or similar insecurities. 
and that none of us really were willing to talk about it. And I think that was sort of the aha moment that mm -hmm. a lot of what I tried to do in my work needed to translate over into kind of be more public and to kind of create a place for us to be able to talk about these things. And when you started your, your podcast, uh, how was the, the, the beginning of the podcast? You had already a, a good following or it was uh, yeah, I, I think a I learning a curve like uh, you mentioned yeah, to me it, before? Yeah, I think, I think for me, I had a decent following and, and it probably was a little bit easier than it, it might have been for other people just because I was very used to standing on stage and telling stories. And, and for me, the podcast was just sort of imagining the audience and doing what I did on stage. So the first, I don't know what, 10 or 15 episodes were just sort of pulled from existing material that I was doing on stage. But, but I think it, it, when it really got interesting was sort of whenever I got past that and got out of my comfort zone, And I think, you know, probably in a week or two that the show will hit its hundredth episode to, to keep doing it for that long and the tree keep, because I think, I mean, the, the amazing part for me is that it, I think it's helped me just as much, maybe more than I think it's helped other people, just because what for me has become very important is by giving away everything I learned, by giving away everything I learned from mm -hmm. working with the amazing teams that I do and being able to coach and teach to give that away forces me forward that again, if you want to do another episode, if you want to do those sort of things, because my, my show is a little different that I don't, I've never had a guest. It's just sort of me talking and, and it's become just a, an amazing part of my development to really just give it whenever I learn something to give it away. Mm -hmm. Because then again, I think one, it helps a lot of people, but it, it really forces my creative process forward. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And now let me, let me, um, I get you a question that I like very much. We, we talked a little bit uh, earlier about fear, and I would like to know uh, in your own words, what is most difficult uh, to master, uh, the fear of success or the fear of failure? Mm. I would probably say, so I would maybe rephrase a little bit different because I think, right. I, I think it's funny. I have, there are certain words that I, I kind of get, I don't know what I'm on a crusade about like one is light bulbs when I don't like it, whenever a creative talks about their process as a light bulb, because I think it makes it sound a little easier than what it is to everybody mm -hmm. else. And again, the other one for me is, is failure. I, I tend to like to look at it as learning because I think failure is sort of a bad outcome when something doesn't work and stays in that place. So, mm -hmm. you know, for me, I think, you know, it, it probably is more just when you're going to do something new, that fear of it not working, that insecurity, the imposter syndrome, whatever that is. I think this is, I mean, I've always sort of joked with a lot of people, I think this is why stupid people are famous is because they just aren't, they don't care. They're just willing to try it. And if it works great, and if it doesn't, that's fine. But no, I think, you know, it's even funny, even recently, I, I held sort of a town hall about imposter syndrome and I wanted to do it three times, but I only listed it once because I was afraid nobody was going to show up. So I, I think there's just that constant battle of sort of moving between you know, that sort of cycle of self-doubt of sort of the imposter syndrome of like, is this going to work? But mm -hmm. then I think to your point also around there is that, that fear of, you know, wanting to make sure that you stay humble, that your ego doesn't take over, that you sort of don't buy into whatever success you've had. I, again, I, I tell a lot of people whenever I meet them, like I met me, I'm not that cool. And, and so I think for me, it's trying to sort of sit at the, the inflection point between those two. Because I think on the one hand, you know, that, that fear of is this going to work pushes you to make sure the work is really good and human mm -hmm. and connects mm -hmm. with people. Mm -hmm. But I think also then not really buying into that success and keeping some amount of humility and openness and, and empathy to, to what it is you're doing. I think if you can sort of balance on the two, usually that keeps you in a pretty good spot. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Uh, Stephen, um, you sound very, very, very confident. So I would like to know where did you find this, this self-confidence? <laughs> oh, I, I think, you know, one, the, the voice helps. But two, I think a lot of it, like one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was like, if you want to be a leader in any capacity, it is just simply your willingness to be the most confident, uncertain person. And, and I think that really holds true. I, I, that's why I said, I think a lot of it for me is I do have the benefit of, you know, go, have, I've been around the world. I've talked to tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people and, and understand what is sort of the shared creative condition globally of, of sort of what's going on. And so I think, you know, there definitely derives confidence out of that. But you know, I think a lot of it for me is just sort of believing in if what I'm experiencing is real, if I am putting it out there authentically, if I, again, believe that what it is is, is, is something that is a, an issue, then I think, you know, people find that confidence. Then I think you find an audience, mm -hmm. then you tend mm -hmm. to try to do those things. But no, I think there is just, again, it, it, part of it is just a constructed persona of the way that I talk and carry myself being on stage or doing interviews. But no, and that's why I'll tell people all the time, like, don't, don't judge the outcome or the appearance of who you see on stage by... Mm -hmm by sort of the, the individual that in many cases, you know, for me, it, it's reminding people and my talks are sort of centered around the fact that like every company I work and coach is dysfunctional. Every creative that I know feels like they are doing it wrong that, you know, again, I think in, in many cases, a lot of us, I think we feel like there's either an invisible script or that other people who are getting it right. And that often we judge our insides by everybody else's outsides. And that comparison, I think, you know, sort of brings a lot of people down or stops them. So no, I, I think I also, you know, I think hopefully in a lot of my work, try to be transparent about, you know, the, the presentation doesn't necessarily, you know, belie the process. Let's go back to the experience that you had in Austria. Yeah. Um, and specifically, uh, what, what kind of advice uh, do you give to anyone who comes to you and uh, who says, I, I want to be a creative, I want to work in the creative world, uh, wh what should I do and how should I proceed? What is your advice? My advice always is just start because I never, I mean, for me, I'll, I'll, my, the biggest advice that I tell people is like genius and success usually only exist as a concept in hindsight. That, you know, my, nobody ever would look at your career and say, hey, look, you know, start at your dad's ad agency, then go to college, then go work in like special effects, then work for an advertising agency, then a hotel company, a bank, a SaaS company. Nobody would mm -hmm. ever look at that mm -hmm. and say, that's the recipe for success. And, and I think if you look at, again, like Steve Jobs got fired from his own company, like Elon Musk yeah. gets pulled off Twitter. Like, again, I think it's only whenever stuff works and we look back at it, it's like, oh, that person was fantastic. That, you know, again, in the moment it really is just about starting and, and starting it as authentically as you can. Because like I said, for, I said before, in many cases, you want to start to copy. You want to be like other people who you mm -hmm. admire or do mm -hmm. things like that. But I think, you know, the more that you can recognize that that's just the start and the more you can find your own voice, the more that you can make peace with yourself, the more that you can just sort of accept your process and your way of doing things, the better it is that you will be. And, and I think that's why, like in my career, And again, the crazy one is called that because I literally have the words, here's are the crazy ones tattooed on my right arm. Some days it's a <laughs> reminder. Some days it's an affirmation. But I think that's my part of it is there's not, mm -hmm. there's not a script. There's not a right way to do this. Like if you go out there and you do it passionately, and if you understand that by standing out, that that is going to be your strength. Because for so many people, when you ask them, who's your favorite artist, your favorite musician, your favorite writer, and then you look at their career and how they didn't do what everybody else did, 
it's getting them to realize that because I think many of us are sort of lulled into this thinking that we need to be like everybody else and do what everybody else is doing to be successful. And I think as creatives, it's actually that path of authenticity, of self-acceptance. Those are, are often the things that I think drive success. So I think that often is the advice that I'll give them is, is again, to not get too hung up in that insecurity and that whatever it is you think you want to do, just try it. And again, just figure it out as you go and, and to be able to do those sort of things. But again, to, to really just spend some time and get to know them because whatever it is that they've done or been through, those experiences, like I said, are going to be the things that are going to set them apart and be their strength. So trying to help them understand that and lean into it. And now how important is it to have the right people in your entourage? Oh, for me, it's everything. Because I, I think, you know, in many cases, especially for creatives, I think too often we're shown this idea of sort of like the lone genius. There are shows like Abstract on Netflix or a lot of other documentaries that will tend to highlight an individual. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never, none of my work that's in my portfolio has ever been done alone. And I think, you know, that ability to trust the people that you are with, to be able to communicate them, to work with them, that for me is the hallmark of great work, as well as just then surrounding yourself with people who will push you and tell you the truth and to be able to do things like that. Because I think, you know, that, that is our, our struggle in all of this is that we are often our own biggest blind spot. It's why we can look at another creative, look at their process, look at their work and give them very specific advice. But then we seem to be blind and unsure of what to do for ourselves. But no, I, I've always been a, a huge proponent of, you know, again, that sort of thing of being able to work with people, but, and also to be able to, to really find diversity, like find mental diversity, find, you know, a lot of different people who will push you, who have different opinions. Cause I think whenever you're able to do that, those are where great collaborators are found. That's where great work is found or where people who are going to push you and challenge you. If you just surround yourself with people who are going to agree with you, you know, the, the work tends to get weaker. And, and again, it, it doesn't have that same sort of life and energy that, that comes out of, again, people who are really sort of being, being challenged and being able to push to do new things. Tell me uh, now, um, I've seen that. So oh, tell me if I, if I'm wrong about that, but um, it seems that you like food very much. Do you draw? <laughs> I've seen some. Uh, uh, I believe you've been in um, in Lyon to uh, uh, to Paul Bocuse. Yes. But I'd like to know if you, by having those culinary experiences, if uh, that sparkle your creative mind <laughs> in no, any way, shape, or form. No, that's a that's a really fantastic question. No, I think food and sort of uh, it, it plays a role in a lot of my creativity. I think you know, for me, yeah, my the last trip before the pandemic, uh, I went to Paris and took the bullet train to Lyon to go to Paul Bocuse for the first time, just because mm -hmm. that had always been such a huge inspiration for years and years. My wife and I, every Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, would go to Barcelona um, because I had developed a relationship with Albert and Ferrar and Adria from Abui. And so we would have Thanksgiving dinner at tickets in Barcelona. Um, no, I, I sort of have traveled the world seeking out some of the world's best chefs, partially to eat the food because that's always fun. But I think a lot of it for me is to really talk to them about what is their creative process, because I, I see such a correlation between the design work that I was doing and what they did. And how did they bring, how did they build culture? How do you build because, I mean, they have to go from this sort of wild act of creativity of coming up with these amazing dishes to doing that dish exactly the same every single night or things like, you know, every chef in the world gets a tomato. What do you do with a tomato? And so mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I started to look at a lot of other 
different industries or different segments, whether it was food or street art or tattooing or other things like that, where we sort of shared the creative condition, but the execution was different. And I think also, you know, just cooking took on a very special thing for me because a lot of the projects that I worked on, a lot of the apps or brands or things like that, these take weeks, months, years to be able to work on. And I found a great deal of, I don't know what, therapy or insight or something and just going able to go cook dinner every night where you can start and finish something that is creative for those who you love to be able to feed them in the space of a few minutes or hours to be able to do something. So again, I think that uh, that part of it really sort of helps feed my inspiration, my creativity and as I go kind of through the days and through the weeks. But no, it's, it's something I constantly, and it's funny, a, a big part of my speaking schedule is actually dictated by where in the world do I want to go and what restaurants are there I always want to visit. <laughs> so yeah, it, it actually is sort of the, the secret little subtext that sits underneath um, some of the talks I do. All right. So you, if I understand properly, you choose your talks depending on the restaurant nearby, right? <laughs> some, some of them have been. No, I've definitely, there, there were events that I was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure it's that great of an event, but there's, there's some really interesting restaurant I want to go to. So yeah, let's go ahead and do it because yeah. it'll be a fun adventure. Good. That's a nice uh, motivation. <laughs> <laughs> and what you do? You do one restaurant or you do several restaurants during your, your, the no, spot of I your always, talks? Or? I mean, I try to like to do all of it. I mean, again, some of the best advice I ever got is like, if you ever want to go someplace and understand another culture, go buy groceries there. So mm-hmm. I think I mean, many of the times whenever we travel, I ask for an Airbnb over a hotel. I want to be able to go to the market and be able to cook. Um, you know, yes, I, it's great to go to you know a Michelin star restaurant, but I also love to go to a hole in the wall. I always, you know, I think whenever we travel, we try to figure out how do we become locals as quickly as possible. I'm never interested in tourist places or where there's an English menu. Like, again, I, I want to be able to try to really experience something different. I, I don't travel to, to do what I get at home. So, no, I think they're, they're, that's sort of just seeing what you find along the way. It, you meet so many amazing people and have so many amazing experiences. And we've developed such amazing friendships all over the world because of it. Good, good. So now, um, a question that I like very much. Um, what it is like to be you? <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I think it depends on the hour. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I am, you know, there, there are so many times in my life where I've looked at what I've been able to accomplish and just have no idea why the hell they happened to me. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, it's pretty great. I, I think, you know, for me, that ability to to help other people, to be able to see the world while you do it, to be able to work with amazing companies and, and be able to do some pretty incredible work that, that's be able to have an impact on the world and things like that has been pretty fantastic. I, you know, I, there's nothing that I would have changed because I know I think I lead an incredibly lucky, you know, life where I'm humbled to be able to do what it is I get to do to, to be creative, to have that as my profession and, and to be able to sort of share that with people. So I don't know. It, it's it's pretty great. Good, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's fantastic to, to hear that and to hear that those um, this joy that you have to communicate what you're actually doing. It's really interesting, you know, because um, there isn't that many people who has the luxury uh, to enjoy what they are doing, you know. Right. And listening to you is not uh, you're not doing a job. You're it's your um, you say it's your purpose in life. Right? Right. I have the feeling. No, it, it is. And I, and I think, different. no, it is. Because I think, and again, that was sort of, it's interesting because there are so many people I talk to who will talk to me and say, it's like, well, you talk about creativity the way I wish it was. Or, you know, again, it's so, you're so honest and how refreshing that is. And it, it's just sort of like, I think that there is sort of a way of how do we take stock? Because in, in many cases, I think it's very easy, 
especially as a creative, to get very caught up in who do you think the world wants you to be versus who you actually are. And, and mm-hmm. I think the longer you try to pretend to be somebody else, you aren't embracing who you are, what your process is. Mm-hmm. It, it is a coping mechanism that is not sustainable. It's why 70% of the leaders who I coach and work with are in therapy because, again, they've sort of felt like they needed to put off this image. And, and I think, you know, for me, the, that tortured artist thing just never really work that that ability to come up mm-hmm. with something new to be creative to to help again go out and create something new is such an insane privilege that to be able to do that and and it's to get to that place where it should be fun i, I think that's the thing is like we're, for me we're the kids that survived you walk in any kindergarten class everybody's a superhero and a painter and an artist and, a singer <laughs> and they, they embrace creativity so fully and you watch as time and society and education and some of these other things take that away from people. And, and like I said, I, I think it's just everyone is creative. Just so many of us have forgotten. Mm-hmm. Speaking about creativity, do you have a specific modus operandi or a, every creation is different? It doesn't follow um, a specific path. I, I think for me, I try to follow a fairly specific, again, I work in so many different mediums and things like that. For me, it's always about how do I get to, what is the, the truth? Like, what is the human experience or the human truth at the center of my work? And so whether that's designing an app or a brand or giving a talk or something like that, it's trying to really get to, like, what is that experience that people are going through? What is it where you can take a talk and travel around the world and everybody connects with it? So a lot of it for me is talking to people and doing research or talking to customers or, you know, going out and experiencing whatever they experience. Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, for me, I, I don't want to get trapped in thinking my view of the world is right. I don't want to get trapped into kind of being limited in my thinking. And so a lot of that's the way that I start is by going out and experiencing and thinking, noticing what struck me different, trying to find those sort of mm-hmm. unique insights or human truths, and then and then figuring out how do I build the work on that. I, and I think that's always sort of been across everything I've ever done, trying to find that center has let it connect with people and really work. But then again, I can work out and figure out whatever the medium is I want to work in. But I think by doing that and realizing again, like I can be a little bit of my own blind spot or talk myself into loving something more than it should. But by sort of just being open to that, you know, showing it to people, letting them break it. Why does it work? Why does it not? And then just keep refining it. That's a kind of simple process I think has, has really helped me with a lot of, to be successful over a decent period of time. Mm-hmm. Right. Tell me now, is there a topic um, that you would like to share with uh, the audience, something that is close to your heart and that uh, we haven't touched uh, so far? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, you've done, you've done a really good job of talking about a lot. I, I think a lot of it for me just is that, like I said, I, I think just that sort of, you know, I think for a lot of people, creativity, it, it is such a personal process. It's based on, your childhood, your upbringing, your education, mm-hmm. your career, like a lot of those sort of different things. And so I think, you know, that's the only, only part of it is I, I think it's, look, it's always great and, and interesting to be able to listen to people. But I think for me, it's just that, that sort of idea that I think for a lot of people, more answers are in them than they give themselves credit for. Mm-hmm. And that I think in many times they're looking, they want to read books or listen to podcasts or do things like that, because if they hear somebody else do it, then they feel like what they believe has been validated. But no, I think it's just, it's just really for me that, theme around leaning into who you are and what your process is and and really just sort of understanding that that is such a strength for so many creative and again it doesn't matter what what the output of that creativity is Mm -hmm. but again I think that's just sort of the one universal that I see and is the focus of so much of my work 
Nice. And uh, on the same token, um, is there a question that I did not ask and you would absolutely love I have asked? Mm. I don't know. I mean, you, you definitely got bonus points for asking about food. Usually that's where I go. It's sort of like, what else do I do that's creative or things like that? Um, you know, I don't know. I think that it probably, I think, you know, you probably covered most of, of the big stuff that I usually think is important to be able to talk about, but um, I don't know. I can't think of anything right now. Maybe, maybe I'll think of something after this is all over and I don't know. I'll have, some, <laughs> I'll have some brilliant epiphany. I don't see, again, this is where it just sort of shows creativity on demand or something like that, mm-hmm. but no, I think, you know, no, I think, I think we, we covered a lot of ground. Good. Let me now um, tell me for people interested to know more about you, uh, what do, what can they, where can they find the information? Maybe your yeah. website, your social media, please. Yep. So, so yeah, I'm on, you can get any social network and just, it's usually SD Gates, um, S is Stephen D is in David Gates, like Bill Gates. Um, you can find my podcast, which is called The Crazy One. It's on every kind of major podcast platform, or you can always just go to thecrazyone.com. It's the words, the crazy and the number one.com. Um, all the shows, all the stuff like that are there. Mm-hmm. I've got a YouTube channel with a bunch of that stuff. But yeah, usually I'm, uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah. And I will uh, encourage everybody to, um, to really listen to your podcast because they are very interesting. Thank you. You're most welcome. So, Stephen, uh, so I love to speak to individuals that inspire people to improve their life. So I thank you very much for coming, as it was really a special moment to have you on the show. And I wish you all the best for you, your family, and friends. <laughs> well, no, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I, I always sign off every one of my talks and my shows with the same phrase, it feels appropriate here, which is I always will just tell people to stay crazy. <laughs> all right, thank you. Talk to you. Bye-bye now, Stephen. Bye. Thank you.